Under the Dome Radio, a full discussion for Season 2, Episode 1, Heads Will Roll, recorded July 2nd, 2014. Broadcasting from Under the Dome in Chester's Mill, it's Under the Dome Radio, the unofficial podcast by and for fans of CBS Television's Under the Dome. This is episode number 25. Be sure to check out our show notes for links and things we might discuss on this week's episode over at underthedomeradio.com slash 25. And if you'd like to leave some feedback, we highly encourage you to do so. Just visit underthedomeradio.com slash feedback. And as a reminder, Under the Dome Radio is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network and sponsored by our affiliate links at underthedomeradio.com. I'm Wayne Henderson, not yet a world-famous drift race car driver, but still glad to be with you. And I'm Troy Heinrichs, and not a science teacher by any stretch of the imagination, but willing to talk about electromagnetic fields and magnetism tonight with you on this 25th episode of Under the Dome Radio. Glad to be with you. And it's going to be fun as we get into the nitty gritties of this season two opener, Wayne. Oh, there is a lot of excellent, juicy stuff to talk about. But before we dig in, I want to remind you, or if you're a new listener, let you know that uh, we have different sections for each part of the show. We've got the breaking news segment. That's where we're going to have dome-related news, including ratings and happenings from around Chester's Mill. Then we go on the air, where we're going to be talking about what we found interesting about the most recent episode of Under the Dome. Then, of course, on location. That's where we get to talk to all of you hashtag domies and residents of Chester's Mill, where we have your listener feedback and thoughts. Then we have investigative reports for those who really want to be in the know and maybe even in sync with our book tie-in slash spoiler section. And then requests and dedications. That's the section where we share how you can help the show. Thank you for helping get the word out, telling a friend, whatever you've got. We want to thank you and share the love. And to kick it off, our breaking news for this evening. The Dome had 9.4 million viewers, which was a 2.2 rating among adults 18 to 49. This was enough to win the night, despite a 33% decline from last year. It also marks the summer's highest rated scripted program debut of the summer. So all things being said, looks like Dome is off to a good start. I would say so. I mean, you compare that 2.2 rating against some of the other Monday night players like 24 Live Another Day, which was 1.5 in its demo, MasterChef at 1.9, NBC's American Ninja Warrior 1.4, and The Bachelorette 1.5, and Mistresses at 1.1. You know, clearly Dome is still a winner, and it's only going to increase with DVR playback later this week. And the fact that this was here in the States, the 4th of July holiday week, and a lot of stuff going on, it could all tie in. But I think DVR uh, ratings are just going to bump that up a lot. Absolutely. And CBS has actually appointed two fans again this year to be what is known as Dome Ambassadors. You can tweet that at hashtag Dome Ambassadors and you can get all your insider information from them. This year, Lisa from Austin, Texas and Diana from Baltimore, Maryland were chosen. And you can see everything you need to know about the Dome Ambassadors at our link under the dome radio.com slash ambassadors. We even hear from Lisa and Di during our on location segment later on in the show that's right so stay tuned for this entire episode because there's great stuff all around now a quick reminder that by the time you're listening to this episode of under the dome radio 
Under the Dome Season 2, the awesome premiere from the other night, is available on Amazon Prime for purchase. So if you have friends that have not yet gone Under the Dome yet, or if you just want to re-watch all that awesomeness, just head on over to underthedomeradio.com slash Amazon Sign up for Prime, and if you haven't already, while you're there, feel free to shop all around Amazon because it really helps out the show. So let's go on the air, Wayne. Let's talk about some of the awesome favorite points that we liked this past week. And I really liked the opening sequence as we went back to last season. We had the bird kind of hatching out of the egg, and here we have the dome-shaped light bulb, which, of course, introduces us to Sam. Is this more of a... The lights are coming on. The lights are coming off. Why do you think a light bulb was used this year in comparison to the egg last year? I thought that it was just because it was shaped so much like a dome. I think it was the producers giving us a little wink, wink, like, hey, look at this. It's a dome. No, it's a light bulb. Well, and I thought it was great, too, that it transitions right into Julia being right outside of this cabin. Now, this isn't the cabin where Peter Shumway and Barbie had their little tossle earlier last season. This is a completely different cabin, maybe even a completely different set of woods. And I don't know if it was me, but Sam sure looked like he recognized that girl that Julia saved in the water. I think that she did have some familiarity, but I'm not 100% sure why. We do have some clues that uh, some listeners sent in a little later this episode that I think tie into it, but still there's something going on. Um, Good old patriotic Uncle Sam. He's got some sort of connection to this whole situation. We just don't know how much and when we're going to find out anything about it. I thought another wild scene near the beginning was saving that that girl. I guess we could call her a hatchling. <laughs> it's a strange name. But is the way she just bubbled up out of the lake. Did she come out of that egg figuratively, grow out of the uh, mini egg that was dropped in there? But... That was just a a crazy, crazy scene. And then, of course, to have somebody bubble up out of the lake and be some girl that Sam recognizes just makes it very bizarre. Well, I'll call plot hole number one of the night right there because Julia, of course, has these stitches in her shoulder. And why would you go for a swim to save this person when you got a good boat sitting right there? (laughs) She likes to swim. She needed the exercise, apparently, because she was getting out of frustrations from Barbie being killed. At least that's what she thinks anyway. Yeah, it uh, plot hole possibly, but uh, I'm willing to overlook that. Okay, we'll overlook it. I mean, Uncle Sam wants you, but Chester's Mill definitely does not want Uncle Sam. He is afraid <laughs> to come back into town, and for very good reason. You know, they want their EMTs to be sober and I'm sure there has something to do with the fact maybe surrounding his sister, maybe some other person in town that caused him to basically be fired from the Chester's Mill Fire Department EMT crew for his drinking. And hopefully we get to explore that later on this season. And in the scenes we saw this week, he didn't seem under the influence or at least not very much. I wonder if he's going to live up to the nickname from the book of Sloppy Sam. That's a on. really good question. I'd like to see... If the drunkenness stays with him throughout the season or if he completely gives up the sauce now that he's now in play with the rest of everybody else that's going on in Jester's Mill. And after meeting and taking care of the hatchling, (laughs) we have an official name, uh, maybe that alone realizes uh, what sinks into his brain that he has to get sober and focus on whatever. Because the dome seems to be telling a lot of people different things, although a lot of it is definitely open to their own personal interpretation. 
Wait, did you say that Dome is telling them things? It seems like it. Big Jim thinks the Dome's telling him all sorts of things. The Dome. <laughs> dome wants us to do stuff, Wayne. <laughs> I like that line from Angie where she was like, Dome wants us to do this. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the Dome. It's just Dome. <laughs> you know, we don't have time for more than one syllable words. Well, the Dome is getting electrifying especially when it comes to electromagnetism. And apparently it's a lot stronger as it gets closer to the sides of the dome, like over at Joe's house or where we, of course, meet the untimely death of one Linda Esquivel. Now, I really liked the visual effects throughout the entire sequence with Linda and Barbie and Big Jim up until the point where Linda dies. I rewatched that scene and she was standing at the dome, which, of course, hopefully wasn't her. It was probably more of a prop. But because that prop was standing there, there was plenty of time for that prop to move and fall and duck out of the way with her police training before that car slammed into her. I think you're right on that one there, Troy. That was a little suspicious. And with all the metal just flying and sticking to the sides of the dome, I was waiting to see propane tanks because there's so many in town. They must be closer to the center away from the main pole. But if propane tanks started flying and hitting the side of the dome, this could have been very, very exciting and dangerous indeed. And I wonder if the cars they're using, is that from like the 60s or 70s? Because I don't know the last car I drove that was made with so much metal that it would have that much pull towards the dome. I and mean, mostly it's fiberglass, isn't it? I'm just, I'm just curious. Is, is the bumper really that much metal? Most of the cars the people are driving these days, I think the only metal might be the engine and the axles. Or the heavy metal as they're listening as they're driving around town. Heavy metal! So, yeah, Linda's death, we knew she was going to die. I think she could have gone out a little bit better, more like in the line of duty kind of thing to actually redeem her police qualities from taking over from Sheriff Duke Perkins. But alas, Linda is gone and... Now she can be a ghost with really cool hair. Exactly, because there's been other television shows, but just because your character's dead doesn't necessarily mean it's the last we're going to see to you. I mean, just from tonight with all the scenes with Dodie, it was great to see her again. So who knows? She could be on the screen on Under the Dome more often now than when she was alive. What I really liked, though, is the science teacher introduction to this and how she's been tracking the dome all along. And there was a line she said that I didn't catch the first time through where she said that the electromagnetic interference is causing the people to pass out and may cause them to have hallucinations. A little foreshadowing there for our junior trippy scene later on in the episode. Now, do you think something like that is based on any real science? It seemed... A little fishy to me, especially since Barbie was totally unaffected and a couple other folks in town that I, I wouldn't think that uh, no matter how strong the magnet is, that it could cause you to hallucinate. I could see it causing you some harm, but I don't know. Do well, we know anything? Do you know any scientists? Well, it looks it's like when planes fly overhead, you know, you used to have that ringing in your ears kind of thing. So you knew that there was disturbances in the radio wave frequencies that your ears could hear. So, and they talk a lot about, you know, the fact that you could have, you know, fainting and things of that nature because you have that uh, inner ear imbalance. So it's possible, I guess, that EM interference could really mess with your brain. I still think it's something a little more mysterious and nefarious and whoever's behind the dome, I think is behind it. But I can see where there's going to be a lot this season where it's going to be the science versus the people wanting to believe in whatever the dome is doing. And 
I think the producers are going to present it to us in a way where we're going to flip-flop on who we even believe each week. So it, it's going to be an awesome season. It's just getting started. Let's talk about the religious part of that, like especially when it comes to rebirth, because there was a really okay. great line where Julia tells Sam, just as she's about to leave, that it doesn't matter what Sam did in his past because the dome's here, right? You're, you've kind of been washed clean, kind of a rebirth of everything that you've done because we all have to band together and do what we need to do for the greater good. Well, I think that's a fine statement to make, a little too kumbaya. I think a lot of people's pasts in Chester's Mill definitely still matter, at least to the other folks in town. It's uh, not necessarily a chance for a full rebirth and starting over. I mean, it would be nice for everybody in town because <laughs> almost every character we've met, aside from maybe Dodie and Ben, they've all had some uh, trouble in their past. Well, Big Jim is still trying to protect that past. He wants to be king. Dodie even mentions that to him when he's down in his mm -hmm. fallout shelter. You want to make yourself king, hearkening back to the monarch concept from last season. But more importantly, I think our PBS after school special message is, is that if you're going to have a weapons locker, don't put it inside of a bomb shelter with a metal door. <laughs> that was a precarious spot for uh, Big Jim the whole time. I, For a while, I thought he wasn't going to get out at all, like he was going to be trapped down there for a few episodes. But uh, yeah, that was wild. I mean, the magnet pole just kept getting stronger and stronger, and pretty soon nobody was going to be able to hold on to a gun. But then, you know, like we saw after the dome was satisfied that there's no more killing going on, or maybe the dome was satisfied after... Angie was dead, that uh, that all stopped. The dome is clear again and life can move forward, at least for now. Well, this is where the episode starts to take a little bit of an interesting turn because it seems to have two different motives, ultimatums for Big Jim. Because Ghost Dodie, as we're going to call her now, says okay. that the the dome is ripping Chester's mill apart. So if the dome is ripping Chester's mill apart, Ghost Dodie would imply that She's trying to help bring the dome down, in which case is Ghost Dodie really part of the dome? Because then Angie tells Barbie in the high school, Dome wants Big Jim dead. So are there two factions at play is my question. I didn't even pick up on that, but that's an excellent catch. If that's the case, things are really going to get uh, twisted in, in the town of Chester's Mill. I didn't even think of that. I, I assumed that all the visions were from the dome, although the science teacher is going to say it's all from the magnetic. But, uh, you know, when we had the visions last season, that was long before any magnetic interference was going on. And with the visions from last season, if you remember, Alice said, you know, well, we're just learning how to be able to communicate over this right. bridge to you. And these ghosts, man, they had their English down pretty darn well and didn't seem like it phased them at all. Exactly. I want to see more of that. So I think there's I think there's two factions at play. That's my crackpot theory for the year. <laughs> okay, we'll make a note of that one, Troy. What what should we talk about next? Because there's I mean we could be here forever talking about all our favorite scenes. Well, with Sam thinking that he knows the hatchling girl when she see when he sees her, then the question goes to he hands Julia that knife. Did he know what that knife's purpose was when she when he handed it to Julia? Or was it just, here's a knife, protect yourself? Hmm, I'm going to go with, here's a knife, protect yourself. I think the more dangerous 
part from that scene was when Sam was going through that scrapbook or high school yearbook. I think it might have been a yearbook. Why, why does Sam have it if it's Pauline's yearbook? I think it said 1988, and it really seemed like it was older than 88 to me. But, you know, four hands are bloody and red. And then there's that sketch in there that looks like it's got to be that uh, hatchling Melanie. Right. And we don't actually get Melanie's name in the show at all. We know that it's Melanie from the casting information and things we've seen from CBS.com. But the thing that really struck me with that is the fact that it was from 1988. It says Pauline Verdreau and Sam introduced himself as Sam Verdreau. So we immediately know now that Sam and Pauline are at least brother, sister, mother, son, but they're related in some way, shape or form. Which then when, of course, later in the episode, Junior says, hey, mom, you know, who are you? And then when Sam comes to town and says, oh, that's my uncle. Well, now we have the whole picture, right? So we know that mom is really Sam's brother, sister combo. And of course, she was married to Big Jim, which makes then Sam Junior's uncle. Exactly. I still don't know why Sam has that yearbook. And I wonder why the artwork in there is so crazy, unless it's just some sketches. Again, that Pauline is very artistic (laughs) and apparently she's still doing paintings. So I'm glad to have her on the show because that's a new element that's going to just stir up the theories left and right. Yeah. Is it because Sam cared for his sister and this is like a memory book for him? So because she's dead, been dead nine years, last time he was in town was at the funeral. So this is a way to keep a part of her. Or is it because Sam may have some of the same premonition type capability that Pauline had since they do share DNA? I'm going to go with that. And although he may not have the artistic creativity as far as an outlet, I think something in their family line might be tied to these visions and these special things. And it might not have anything to do with the Rennies after all, or they could have their own family line of uh, craziness going on. And then the last question before we get into the really good stuff, Wayne. Okay. Did you notice the only people that were not knocked out by the dome were Barbie, Julia, Jim, and could there have been a fourth person still left conscious, maybe Sam, even though he wasn't actually with the three of them at the gallows, to make maybe four adult hands? Hmm. I did notice, you know, Barbie and Julia, and of course, Jim is still trying to figure it out. So I did notice that those three did not get knocked out, which is kind of strange that they weren't. But uh, I see your point. Maybe Sam was unaffected as well. Four hands. So we got four hands of the young generation last season and possibly if we're going to talk about four hands from this generation i'm not sure i mean it's plausible because we don't know what the four bloody hands mean in that scrapbook other than what happens at the end of the episode and maybe that's a prediction of what's going to happen to the original four hands is that all four of them have to be killed which again leads me to my two sides theory now if Jim would have seen Pauline's yearbook back in the day. Maybe he could have really thought a little more about marrying this woman. <laughs> this is true. I would had second thoughts after I saw, especially the, the drawing of the, we'll call it, you know, the hatchling. Not well. How about the bloody hands? Yeah, too. That too. Oh, um, good stuff. Okay. So the really, really awesome things now from this episode. It com- just keeps getting more awesome. I know because I thought that I, when I watched it the first time, I was like, this seems completely different. Did I switch channels? And then as I watched it back again, it was very clear that 
James, don't call me junior was mm-hmm. in a dream sequence. And the music that's playing in the background is called basic instinct by the acid and the lyrics for it. Once he finally sees his mom go tender, we fall quiet and alone, tired and gone, just speechless, speechless, tired and gone coming up for it. And then it repeats coming up for it like a hundred million times. And we're going to have a, a clip for this uh, to SoundCloud. We'll put that in the show notes over at underthedomeradio.com slash 25. So you can hear the song again because the music was great. But what was more important is what was happening as that sequence took place. So Junior wakes up on the sidewalk. So we know he's not in the same place as where he passed out because he passed out in the grass by the gallows. Exactly. And, And there's a street pole. And off the street pole is a banner like you would see if you drive through, you know, middle America, downtown, that they hang their city signs or their festivals off the street pole. And it's of this obelisk type building and it's got these rays shooting out from the back of it like a sun only they're blue and white so obviously it's showing that this obelisk is admitting some kind of power or it's some kind of central religious focus point that you're supposed to bow down to or something of that nature right and then as junior gets up and starts walking around and as he looks to his left shoulder do we see that exact same obelisk as part of the city skyline Yes. And then he walks up to this shop called Curious Junk, J-U-J-U-N-Q-U-E, because there's a store called Junk in Your Trunk down in Waco, Texas, spelled the exact same way, J-U-N-Q-U-E. But what was interesting is that there's been a break in or something and they're looking at these snow globes. So you remember these snow globes that Angie was chucking at the dome in season one. And there's a snow globe for New York, and I believe it's a snow globe for, I want to say it was either Pittsburgh or Philadelphia, but it was a, it's Pittsburgh. It was a Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania snow globe. And in the middle is this snow globe for Zenith. And what is inside the snow globe, but this same obelisk with the green windows. And then of course, Junior shakes the obelisk and the blood happens and he drops it and it breaks. And then he sees his mom. So there's a lot going on in this six minute sequence because this obelisk is something that I think we have to really take to heart because we see it again in Pauline's window at the end of the episode as she's drawing James painting and uh, senior James's painting. And then, of course, the door with the red paint over the top of it, that obelisk is in the background. So we're going to hold off comments on this until the in the know section, the investigative reporting, because I think this ties into the book somehow. Okay. I will save my comments other than to say that the visuals were so amazing and so strong. I did not even notice the music in that scene. The music, I think is what made the visuals stand out. I mean, the music just had me in this trance state and I was like, I had to look around just like junior going, where am I? What's going on? Take note of my surroundings. Cause everything in those shots is meant to tell something most importantly Absolutely. that that obelisk is very important to the show. Yes. And it's not anything to do with the Zenith television that I had when I was growing up. I nope. have a feeling it's totally different, but it might now, have something to do with Zenith in general, because a Zenith is really the highest point at any given time from a person at a fixed point on earth. You could say when the sun is at high noon, for example, the sun may be at the Zenith point where it's directly above head of a certain person on a lower point. So the question becomes, is the Zenith 
the top of the dome? Is somebody sitting up on top of the dome? Is someone controlling it like Truman Show on top of the dome? Or <laughs> is there another planet where their dome is covering the town of Zenith? And once the two domes are aligned, something's going to happen. Dun, dun, dun. But that Zenith is a huge, huge call out. Oh, also. absolutely. It's just a matter of figuring out what it's really all about. Now, the writers also gave our buddy Big Jim so many awesome lines this week. I mean, he was just spewing out uh, sound bites left and right. Like, what the hell are you supposed to be? The ghost of Christmas future? <laughs> that I love that. And uh, what was the other one? Something like uh, Sunrise New Eyes? Yeah, he's saying that, that to the sense. well, he's saying that to the the science teacher after everything had calmed down, and he's like, you know, let's talk about it in the morning, basically. But he says sunrise. Oh, that what he meant? Yeah, he says sunrise, new eyes, and then she says something. Then he's like, you know, we could talk over breakfast. So it's Big Jim's new pickup line. Wow, Big Jim! <laughs> and of course, shut up and be dead. I'm busy. Love that line. I think that was the best one. But then, of course, there was the hearkening back to the end of season one and the start of this episode when he's yelling at Julia and he's just do it, do it, do it now, do it, coward. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag epic fail. Oh, what a fantastic episode. But of course, so many great things. Yeah. And the best line, of course, was the see you, sweetheart. Go back to the Twilight Zone. I got work to do. <laughs> And just the fact that uh, Twilight Zone was mentioned helps you realize that Big Jim realizes that uh, something strange is going on. And, of course, it opens up the door for all of our minds to really think about some wild, classic science fiction stuff from the past. So the big question, of course, then is why does the hatchling say, I'm sorry to Linda? I, I don't know. It didn't seem sorry. I know. She said it very passive aggressively, like, oh, Sorry. Yeah, I, I don't know why she said that. That part didn't make it much sense. Maybe after this coming week's episode, all will be revealed. I'm not sure. Unless the dome didn't want Linda dead and it was just an accident. But then that would imply that the hatchling is from the dome or is the hatchling from the dome because of what happens in the high school later. Well, it'll also Im imply that the dome doesn't have as much power as I think that it actually does. This is true. Speaking of power, hey, the resources are running low. Go figure. It's been two weeks. <laughs> we, you know, it's time for things to start happening there in Chester's Mill. They need, you know, those generators, the way they were uh, wired up due to the fantastic plans of the science teacher, they were making some serious power there. But I don't know how it's going to help the people in the town that all want to go to the Sweetbriar Rose and have some coffee with Stephen King. Yeah, that was a great cameo. It was very clear that he stood out. I don't know how many people saw it, how many people missed it. You can let us know if you saw or missed it the first time through or if you had to watch it a second time to catch him. But yeah, great conversation. You know, hey, fill her up there, Ange. <laughs> I need some more coffee to get through my next novel. It was a really good cameo, much better than his cameo in that uh, made-for-TV movie from the 80s, The Langoliers. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> Way better cameo. But I think so, the, the big thing that the science teacher, I think, is calling out, though, is the the lack of power and where can we get power? And, oh, doesn't Jim Rennie have a giant stash of propane sitting somewhere? Could we use that to power these generators? Well, you can have them help run an under-the-dome radio pirate radio station, so it could probably power all kinds of things in town. Rennie has a lot of propane. Yeah, so I think that's a really good call out that they're going to come back to the propane story and maybe get more digging into that this season as well. 
even with also the food shortage that's probably going to happen. And of course, another water shortage, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> around and around and around it goes. And of course, the propane being one of the main ways that Big Jim and his uh, cronies were able to create that rapture drug. So that storyline can't just be totally forgotten. Now, the Pauline painting scene at the end, I thought this was really interesting because she there was a comment made by Ghost Doty, right? Sins of the father come to the son kind of thing. Exactly. And then she's like, ooh, James. And she's got a picture of James. And to the right, you can see a picture of what looks like Big Jim. And then she immediately goes to a door, a black door on a blue background. And she starts furiously painting red at the top of the door. And if you're any kind of religious person, you know that that red on the top of the door would immediately stand out as the Passover blood that the Hebrews used in Old Testament times when they wanted to escape Egypt. The angel of death would pass through Egypt, kill all of the firstborn, which James is the firstborn, we assume. And she's furiously painting that red blood because I think she doesn't want anything bad to happen to James in which case is she signaling the dome or the people controlling the dome or what have you to say, leave my son alone. She's definitely doing something. It also reminded me, I believe they did some of the red painting above the doors as well in the M night Shyamalan movie, the village, didn't they? Oh yeah. Which again was probably a, just a callback to the biblical stories, but they, they weren't. I love that movie. That movie's great. <laughs> Some people didn't like that movie. I thought that movie was very well done because I didn't see the twist coming at all. I didn't either. And all these people, oh, I saw it a million miles away. But anyway, back to Under the Dome. The real big <laughs> This was an open. Yeah. I mean, the real big question is the ending, right? Because a lot of people are out there already saying, why Angie? Why, why, why? Burt Robertson's awesome. And <laughs> True, but you know. But the more important question is, what the heck did you see in that locker? Or who? Ooh. I mean, that, that's a good-sized locker. Somebody could be crammed into it. A scrawny version of Joe? Another nerd, maybe, that could help him out? Maybe it's Ben. <laughs> ben was stuck in the locker. That's why we, I hope not, because I don't think whoever or whatever's in that locker is going to be alive. She seemed very shocked by what she saw, and shocked enough that somebody was willing to kill for it. And at first pass, we all assumed, I think, that you know the hatchling killed her with the hatchet. Hatchling, yeah. hatchet, get it? Oh, that's a good one, Troy. Oh, snap. <laughs> but, but you uh, think it was somebody else and the hatchling did not interfere. Could it be somebody else? Which means then if it's somebody else, could the hatchling come and save Angie and maybe she's not dead? <gasps> maybe. But mm -hmm. it's a lot of blood to make a giant handprint that size. So I think she's done. Wow. that Yeah, that was a heck of a handprint. That was exactly like the ones in the yearbook. Yeah, it... it I mean, Angie, just in a scene or two earlier, she was really adamant about her hatred for Big Jim. So maybe Big Jim's not done killing yet. And is the, he is the hatchet man. Right. And is this murder that kind of thing? Is someone going to blame Jim for killing Angie because of their tussle in the diner right beforehand? Is Junior going to get blamed for killing Angie because he had, him, had her kept in that bomb shelter? I think this starts up another spawn of... You know, people not trusting other people and keeping the killing going on in Chester's Mill for season two. Right. And, and like Stephen King said, and like he does tend to do in a few of his books, but he, for Under the Dome, wanted to take an ordinary little town, put it under extraordinary circumstances, and just see what 
humans do in this type of situation. And generally under, you know, if you have a small town under a dome for two weeks or so, people are going to start going crazy. Well, we're going to put some of the Zenith information also in the show notes at underthedomeradio.com slash 25. But more importantly, ratings time. Mr. Wayne, season two premiere, your rating, please. I give this episode of Under the Dome 10 out of 10 bloody snow globes. Now, you're just a Stephen King fan. That's the only reason you're giving this a 10, right? No, that's not the only reason. Although, like I mentioned in our initial thoughts episode, it's obvious this sick, twisted episode was written by Stephen King. But I just thought it was fantastic. Definitely worth a 10, no matter who wrote it. Well, I'm giving it a 10 out of 10 also. 10 out of 10 obscure obelisks, because not only was it written by Stephen King, it was also directed by Jack Bender. We love Jack Bender. Of course, that's a great combination. They should probably work out uh, something for the uh, Dark Tower series, maybe. Hey, this is Jeff Gentry, X-Force 11, calling in for Under the Dome. Um, Two interesting things. Um, That yearbook that uh, Sam was looking through looked like it had a drawing of the girl from the lake in there. Um, So prophecy, even back then. So she was prophesying the whole time. killer episode on many levels. It just got me excited. But I still wondered, hey, where's Romeo Burpee, you know, who had the store and the book and was supplying everybody and kind of one of those that stood up against Big Jim and and helped out Barbie. Um, So just kind of wondering, looking forward to the new season, it was off to a good start. Thanks, guys. Bye. Hi, guys. This is Robert. I'm Carrie King 99. I am a host of um, Doctor Who Review today, and I just want to say I really enjoyed the um, Monday's um, episode. Really enjoyed the way um, Stephen King has set it up. Um, as you notice, usually the first episode usually sets up for the whole season, and very much looking forward to um, what happens later on. Um, we had it predicted pretty well about the sheriff being killed and um, was kind of surprised at the end of the other person that was killed but I guess Bill was made a uh, uh, sheriff so um, it'll be interesting to see what take that will go since he hadn't had no training and law enforcement and give it to someone that ran a radio station and then be kind of curious to see how that works out and it was great seeing um, the um, cameo by Stephen there at the cafe. So, um, so far so good. We'll see how the rest of the season works. Thanks again. Talk to you guys later. Bye. Robert and Jeff, thank you so much for sending both of those uh, listener feedback calls in. And Robert, you'd be surprised the overlap of skills between being an on-air DJ at a radio station and being a sheriff in a small town. There's a lot of uh, common skills there. (laughs) I got my rifle merit badge and I worked on the radio, so I guess I could be a cop. (laughs) Well, in Chester's Mill, they're always looking for a new sheriff every couple of weeks. But the big question, of course, Romeo, Romeo, wherefore out thou, Romeo? I forgot all about him and his store. I know. The store might come into play now that our resources are running low. Maybe we'll get to see Romeo Burpee. Even though he wasn't officially cast as a regular for the season, he could be a guest appearance. 
He could be, maybe even under a different name, because we did already see some action happening in this store last uh, season when there was a little mini riot there. Of course, that could have been a different competing store. Who knows? But uh, great calls, Jeff and Robert. Uh, We appreciate that. And it sounds like a lot of people have really enjoyed this pilot episode of this season. Well, you remember we talked about those Dome Ambassadors at the top of the show. And Dome Ambassador Lisa actually wrote us and said, as a Dome Ambassador, I think season two started out with a bang with two main characters meeting their own demise under the dome shocked us all. I'm eager to find out what will happen next. I've learned to expect the unexpected and to just hang on for the ride because anything can happen, which I think we all were shocked by when Angie died, of course, at the end of the episode. And then, of course, Dome Ambassador Die said, I'm a Dome Ambassador and had the pleasure to visit the set on Monday. I can't tell you any secrets, but I can tell you that this season is going to be full of surprises. I was with a few of the cast members during the live premiere. They watched it at Hell's Kitchen in Wilmington, North Carolina. Woot woot, shout out to Hell's Kitchen. (laughs) And I can tell you that this season is going to be packed. The fans were awesome. And they were vocally excited and shocked by what happened with the two deaths. I think this first episode only touched on all there is to come this season. Hi, this is Michelle. About Under the Dome, I really think that that new weird girl might be like a physical representation of the dome and the monarch butterfly itself. Bye. And I think she's talking about Melanie, right? We we know her as Melanie from CBS.com. We're going to keep calling her the hatchling because I just think it sounds cool. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny and it's quite visual. But we did put it out on Twitter and Christian at Haga CHR on Twitter uh, thinks that Melanie's actually a good person where Samantha 909090 and at Thomas Storari and at Morgan Vander say evil, evil, evil all the way around. What do you think, Wayne? Well, it depends on your definition of good. And and Michelle, thank you so much for the voicemail. I think the Dome may think that Melanie is good, but there might be more than a couple people in Chester's Mill that are going to end up thinking that Melanie is, as the listener said, evil, evil, evil. Now, drunk EMT Woodsman Sam. (laughs) uh, That's a mouthful. Brad is actually a Domi extra and he worked on some of the set for season two and knew ahead of time who the deaths would be. However, what he thinks is interesting is that Junior's uncle seems to know something about this new mysterious girl after Julia saved her from the drowning. You could see on his face with his first sight of her that he is just shocked. Also how the mystery girl showed up in the book of paintings he had should be from Junior's mother so, yeah, connection there. We've already kind of talked about that. I still think Sam is going to turn out to be on the side of Julia Barbie, not on the side of Big Jim. I think you're right. He just seems to fit into that uh, trifecta of fun, investigative uh, folks over there because Julia Shumway, she does still work for the newspaper in Chester's Mill, although. I don't know if they have any resources to print any newspapers. And I assume also the headline every day is the dome's still here. Dome watch day 15. Exactly. (laughs) Well, what do you think of the new science teacher, Rebecca Pine? She seems like a good character, but I think she's taken a little too much credit away from the dome and putting it on pure science. It's too early to tell. I think she's going to buddy up with our buddy Joe though, because he is kind of a, 
mastermind for his age group. Well, again, on Twitter, at Mr. Smiley 2012 says that the new science teacher appears to be a smart cookie, where at Morgan Vander thinks, eh, she's just okay. See, it's too early to tell. But then there was, of course, the epic actress Sherry Stringfield coming in as Pauline. And I'm just curious to see where this character goes. This one has me completely baffled on how this all breaks down. Oh, no doubt. And with the great visuals, and again, like you talked about, about the music underneath that other scene, uh, there's a lot going on with this character. And I I can't wait to see because obviously she's going to be a major part of at least season two of Under the Dome. And remember, there's still two characters to be introduced later this season. We have Dwight Yoakam playing the Chester's Mill barber and the barber of Chester's Mill, like the barber of Seville. It rhymes. Mm-hmm. I got I got them I, all night, Wayne. <laughs> man, yeah, do you do two shows a night or is this the, the one and only poetry fest that you got going? I just flew in from Chester's Mill and my arms are tired Oh, because I crashed into a dome on the way. <laughs> you know, that really hurts. And your arms are tired because they're laying there on the ground on the other side of the dome. And we're also still going to be introduced to Barbie's dad who works for this corporation. And maybe that corporation is tied into the corporation that Maxine worked for outside of the dome that was helping ship around this rapture drug. So we might come back to that storyline. Won't it be cool if just as a shout out, his corporation is called North Central Positronics. That would be cool. Nice tie in to Stephen King. That would be awesome. So what else do the listeners have to say, Wayne? Hello, this is Neil from Bowie calling to Under the Dome Radio about Under the Dome Season 2, Episode 1, Heads Will Roll. First off, the uh, deaths in the episode. No real great surprises overall, considering some of the uh, rumors that have been going around. Uh, was there anyone who saw the car and Linda and Barbie there by the edge of the dome and not expecting Linda to get crushed by the car? Even though Linda did stop Big Jim from pulling the lever on Barbie, I doubt many people were sorry to, that she was the first one chosen to be to die in the episode. I believe there were solid rumors about her due to the, her, the actress being uh, cast in another show. As far as Angie, how it happened was quite a surprise. We have no idea who did it or why. We will miss her. But I also did read some rumors about her as well. Uh, back to the story, the dome turning white in the season finale and then becoming extremely magnetic here in this opener. Uh, magnetic disturbance uh, making more and more people collapse during the episode. Uh, Big Jane was spoken to by the Dome through the appearances of Dodie and then Linda after he asked for help. He uh, needed to know sacrifice and the people of the Dome would suffer until he did. He was warned that his son would suffer. It's not until he actually stomps through the floor of the gallows and then Julia cuts the rope that the dome gets back to normal, so to speak. Big Jim appears to have learned his lesson. Will he be a force for good, more or less, now? And while his brother-in-law Sam shows up in the episode, he meets Julia after she saves someone who just appeared in the lake. This person appears to be a solid manifestation of the dome in a body. The uh, clue towards that is her apologizing to Linda's body during the episode. We see Sam go through a book of clippings and art that were his sister's. And uh, speaking of Big Jim's wife, after Junior collapses due to the magnetic uh, disturbance, uh, he has a vivid dream, sees a snow globe, the outside of which turns to blood, uh, reflecting back to the use of the snow globe last season. Then he sees his mother, and she sees him, and they actually talk for a bit. 
um, is, looks quite real to him. And uh, to our surprise, at the end of the episode, we not only see something of the world outside the dome, but it looks like it's uh, Big Jim's wife. She's not dead. She is still painting, and it's not a flashback. Another new character, Miss Pine, a high school science teacher. She tries to give scientific explanations for some of the things that are happening in the dome. She explains the butterflies last season were attracted to the outside of the dome due to fluctuating magnetic fields. There are lots of interesting events, and I look forward to seeing how these all develop under the dome. Neil, thank you so much for putting that together and sending that in. And avoid rumors, Neil. Just say no to rumors. Oh, my goodness. I was... Totally surprised about Angie's death. I I knew somebody was going to die, but I didn't think it was going to be her. And I like uh, how Neil said the dome went back to normal, so to speak. <laughs> Whatever a normal dome over a town is, right? Well, what caused it to go back to normal? We have that same science versus faith conversation with the science teacher and Julia. But did the dome return because Julia cut Big Jim down? Or did the dome return because Jim sacrificed himself? We may not know for 10 episodes or so. My two-side theory still holds up. Oh, no doubt. That's definitely, I think, a major theme this season. And the Chester's Millions are stuck in the middle. They're a third party. Sounds like Falling Chester. Skies, another Amblin television production. <laughs> Chester Millions. Oh, my goodness. There's just so much going on in this one episode that I definitely need to watch it at least one more time before next Monday night's. Well, it's so exciting. Taylor Hale wrote in and he said, I never have been into a show before like Under the Dome. So ready for next week's episode. I just can't get enough of it. Thank you, Taylor. And Adam, a.k.a. I Climbed Union J on Twitter, said that the season premiere was amazing. Under the Dome never fails to impress me. So well done. But then there was at Space Archaeology on Twitter brought this to our attention. And he said, uh, I don't get it. The school is in the center of the dome. I thought the mini dome in season one was at the center of the dome. Do you remember that, Wayne? Oh, d uh, definitely. Now, I wonder if the quote unquote center of the dome is actually a large enough area, maybe, you know, a couple square miles that maybe it could still be considered that the school is the center, maybe not the dead center so to speak, emphasis on the dead, and still in that center area is outside of the school, maybe a half mile away or something like that, is that forest area. But I do believe they said that the mini egg was considered close to the center of the dome and might have been, you know, radiating it from within. Well, the way I remembered it was Joe said to Nori, you know, if the dome is on the outsides here... What must be generating the dome must must be at the middle of it. So they went walking towards the middle of it, but nothing ever said they got to the actual middle of it. And if you look at the model of the map in the science teacher's classroom, right where the school is, just kind of to the lower right of the picture, is a little foresty area. So is it possible that the mini dome was in that forest close enough to the school and there's nothing saying that the mini dome was actually the generation of the dome because the dome's still there and the dome's gone and the egg's in the water. So again, leads me to believe that the center of the dome and the mini dome, two different camps. So my two sides theory, again, still holds. And possibly whatever or whoever is in that locker could be creating the dome or some 
old science experiment that uh, Mrs. Rennie worked on back in high school, back in 88, under the school could be causing everything under the dome. Here's a cool thought for the locker. What if, as you look through the locker, you're looking out one of those green windows on the obelisk? Oh, I love that. I do. I love that because that kind of reminded me of not Lost, but Lost in Space. I watched old reruns of Lost in Space when I was a kid. And even the final season, which was in color and totally went off the rails with giant carrots and everything. But one of the very last episodes, Will Robinson, the the son, he is in this place being held captive. But through and he's on some distant planet, you know, because they were lost in space but through the window of this like toy shop or something he could kind of see as a window back to earth to see what was happening on earth and this just so much reminded me of that scene of lost in space it and if looking into that locker could be a window out of your obelisk troy i love it chalk it up episode 25 that's the theory for the year (laughs) (laughs) Obelisk is generating the dome. And when you look through the locker, you look on Zenith. Between your theories, my theories, and all of the Lister theories, somehow we're going to figure this thing out. Well, let's switch over to the investigative reporting and talk more about the snow globe obelisk Zenith place. Because, again, this is our book spoiler section. So if you have not read the book, turn us down for about a minute or two. Three, two, one. Spoilers are coming. At the end of the book, if you remember, it's a toy, right? It's a toy, like a giant bowl that kids would play with and place over ants, like if we were humans. But in this case, they're leatherhead aliens. And Julia is actually able to talk to one of the leatherhead children to convince her that they are real people and not toys and should be let out. So is this the same kind of concept with the snow globes? So every snow globe might be an individual dome of its own. And as Angie's destroying those snow globes, she's actually in theory destroying domes over those towns. And is that why the Zenith town has this blood swirling around it in order to save Zenith? That's why Junior drops it. And that's why Zenith is there with Pauline painting her paintings with the obelisk in the background. The snow globes have some deeper meaning, I think. They definitely have some deeper thing, uh, meaning to them, and I do like uh, where you're going with that one, Troy, because in the book, the dome was powered by, it looked like a Generation 1 Apple TV, but... Um, that pulsed every 15 minutes like the dome was pulsing this week. Mm-hmm, something along those lines. And although I like where you're going with that, they kind of told us, though I guess they're allowed to go back on their word, but they kind of told us that since nobody liked the ending hardly in the Stephen King novel, that their ending of the television show was going to be different than the ending in the book. So that description you mentioned, although very cool, is kind of similar to the book and makes it sound like they could be going back on their word. Well, what don't people like of the end of the book? Do they not like the ant farm concept or do they not like the fact that it was aliens or the combination of the two, because if I'm thinking about this obelisk and looking through the locker, it kind of reminds me of Stargate. So could this potentially be an alternate universe or an alternate earth? And you could pass between domes through this obelisk, but the obelisk is there and the, or the dome is there to keep other people from finding the passageway through the obelisk, almost kind of like a dark tower. 
in the Stephen King mm-hmm. universe. It could be that. I'm also wondering if perhaps uh, Junior's mom, okay, we'll call him James, whatever, that she is in some sort of time loop. I'm still trying to figure out, and they're going to have to show us, and I can't wait till they do it, how she went from being alive in our time with Big Jim and all that, and whether or not there was really an accident involved. Somehow she went from that realm to where she is now, if she is truly still alive and not just in a time flux or time loop or something. How'd she get there? I guess, long story short, I want to know how she got there. And how does she have cable to get the local news? (laughs) That's what I want to know. She's a cord cutter. That's what I got to tell her. (laughs) Save Save your money. (laughs) Be a cord cable cutter. Uh, All great stuff. I think it was a really good, awesome kickoff to season two. So I think we should just finish on up with some requests and dedications. What say you, Wayne? Yes, let's go ahead. And we just want to thank some friends who are very kind to share our Under the Dome radio promo for 2014, kind of a 60 second commercial that uh, we wrote. And then we had Rick Moyer at Moyer Multimedia put together and people love this promo. I, I cannot, the downloads and listens for this promo are amazing, but we want to thank Albert over at his quantum leap podcast for playing our promo. Also Stephanie Zimmer on the TV rewind podcast played it again. Al Kessel played the promo on his inside the voiceover studio podcast as well. Yeah, we also want to say thanks to Mike, who goes by at Jarek on Twitter, as well as IDs and Vitro on Twitter. They shared out that they subscribe to the podcast via the underthedomeradio.com iTunes link. And also thanks to at Shaft's Word for also subscribing all the way from the UK. That is all excellent stuff. Thank you so very much, friends. And, of course, that underthedomeradio.com iTunes link will also help you leave a magnetizing review that will also help draw in even more domies like how I did that there. Uh, so that if you uh, want to get more people to listen, contribute, I mean, great theories from everybody in the Domehead community and Domey community this week. We want to hear more. We want to hear all of you guys share your thoughts, your theories. Where is this thing going? Send it on in under the dome radio.com slash iTunes to leave that review, to get the word out and share, 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 share everywhere you can. Yes. Tell your friends, be sure to talk to everybody at work, school, wherever you're at. Tell them, wow, was, did you see Under the Dome? That was fantastic. And, oh, you should listen to the Under the Dome radio podcast. There's listeners calling in with great theories. Share the love and share the word. And, you know, here in the Northern Hemisphere, it is summertime. And even in the Southern Hemisphere, if it's winter, upgrade your wardrobe. Get yourself a stylish Under the Dome radio podcast logo T-shirt or maybe even a really cool two-sided Under the Dome coffee mug. And uh, that way you can let people know that you love the show and support the show. And you look cool doing it. Just go to underthedomeradio.com slash goods to pick one up today. Or if coffee mugs and t-shirts aren't your thing and you just like cold, hard cash or even better yet, cold, hard propane, because who likes to grill out and barbecue in the summer like we do? You can actually send some propane our way. There's a propane donation widget right there on the right-hand side of the website. Just go to underthedomeradio.com. Click the widget. You can give for a day, a week, a month, whatever you want to do. It'd be greatly appreciated because, of course, we got to keep this tower broadcasting from here under the dome. 
But most importantly, we love connecting with all of you fellow domies. So make sure you go to underthedomeradio.com and look at all of those cool social links right at the top of the page. If you want to listen in iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, those links are there. You can go on to Facebook, Twitter, Google+, those links are there. Make sure that you do leave that rating and review in iTunes. And of course, anytime you post to Facebook, Twitter, Google, Make sure you share with all your friends that Under the Dome Radio is where you get your theories and thoughts and feedback and reviews and news all about our favorite show, Under the Dome. And again, this is your show, your podcast, and we want to hear your voice and share it on the next episode of Under the Dome Radio. Let us know your theories. We talked about a lot tonight. We want to hear what you're thinking. Just go to underthedomeradio.com slash feedback for all the details. And don't forget, if you get a chance, get a picture of you underneath some sort of dome. You can be a dome head. We have a dome head gallery hall of fame from last season. And there's some great pictures of people that found a way to get a picture of themselves trapped under a dome in their area. Check those out and then get a picture of your own and send it in. We will be glad to share it on that section. But until the next episode of Under the Dome Radio, I am Wayne Henderson, the voice acting, podcasting, Green Bay Packers fan. Yes, and you can be on that Domehead Hall of Fame with Miss Ghost Doty herself. She's up there already, so you want to be in good company. Just uh, don't stick a finger and wave it at the air at her. And I'm Troy Heinrichs. We're going to conserve our propane until next time. Keep sending those propane shipments in. But most importantly, stay trapped under the dome. Under the Dome Radio. Under the Dome Radio is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Get more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Get organized in your personal and professional life, laugh with our clean comedy, theorize over great television shows, and so much more, all waiting for you at noodle.mx.